Lord Almighty, give us ears to hear tonight. Open our hearts and our minds. Remove from us those things that would distract us and keep us from hearing your word and from therefore knowing you better because as we know you better, we will therefore love you and trust you more. Bless us tonight so that we may be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you know that I was the pastor of a church in Goleta. And when I got to this church, I had great vision. We had about an acre and a half below the main part of our property. And I would look out there and over here I would see the parking lot extended. Right here I would see a two-story Christian Ed building. Over here I, I saw a place where we would have a barbecue pit and some grass and some oak trees and it would be a wonderful place for fellowship and enjoying all that God was doing. After about two and a half years there, my eyesight was poor and all I saw was dead grass. About that time, a friend of mine called me up and asked me to meet him in Buellton for lunch. As we were sitting down, my friend asked me if I would be willing to be demoted. No way was my response. Because I thought what he meant by that was another tiny church that couldn't keep its doors open or even muster the courage to do something about it. As he was sitting down, he said, Drat, we need an associate pastor. Wait, 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 wait. Thus began a story that is now 10 years old. And praise Jesus and thank you for putting up with the Burtnets for all this time. And, and based on what Jim said that morning, I certainly do not consider an associate pastor position a demotion. An opportunity to serve a body of believers who love Jesus and are willing to do something about it is an honor, even if your title in the eyes of the world is a little bit lower. God the Spirit helped me on that day understand the principle taught in Matthew 18, 1-6 that I'm calling reduce yourself to greatness. Now, I certainly do not claim any greatness except that maybe which John Newton is famous for claiming when he said, two things I know, that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. Now, Newton's greatness is a wonderful expression of what I believe Jesus is talking about when he describes childlike faith in our passage tonight. This is the kind of faith that looks to Christ and not to himself for anything that he has. It's the kind of faith that sees everything he has as a gift and he only claims anything with an open hand. This is the kind of faith that sees everything that you bring to the table as a gift from the Father of gifts. This indeed is reducing yourself to greatness. And tonight we're going to see how this kind of faith is lauded by Jesus himself. Let's read our passage in Matthew 18 verses 1 to 6. At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, of course, we need to ask ourselves exactly what is it that Jesus is commending in this passage? What is it that Jesus is exhorting his hearers and his readers to do? If you and I are to become like children, what attitude should we have? And so I set up a little chart here. What is it to be childish? Well, it means to be self-centered. It means to push for recognition for all that you do. It means to fight to be number one. And it means to have an exalted view of yourself. These are all characteristics of childishness. And I bet you, like me, know plenty of people of all ages who fit this description, right? But then what does it mean to be childlike? To be childlike is to be humble. It's not self-assuming. It's willing to be number two. In fact, it means to have a proper view of yourself. If you and I are going to be childlike instead of childish, you and I are going to have to reduce ourselves to greatness. Now, you and I live in a culture that embraces mediocrity and it rewards merely showing up for the games. But the disciples were very much interested and knowing about greatness. They wanted to know about what it was to be more than simply rewarded for 12th place in a 12-person race. They wanted to know what it really meant to be great in the eyes of the only person that it really matters to be great in his eyes. And so Jesus, so this is what they ask. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who makes it to the wedding feast of the Lamb and gets to sit closest to the person of honor? That actually turns out to be a great question. And among the many places it's answered in Scripture, David answers it for us in Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who is going to be great? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. That person is the one who will receive blessing from Yahweh and righteousness from his, the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Those who are childlike are those who have clear, clean hands 
and a pure heart. They don't worship idols and they don't swear falsely. Now, wait, 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 wait. Come on. Let's get serious, Pastor Greg. Are you saying that children don't lie? Certainly not. Not only was I a child, and I remember the experience, but I happen to have three of them living in my house currently. I know that every single person is a sinner, and I know enough about Jesus to know that he knew the hearts of children as well and was a realist in understanding that everybody's a sinner. And I know your kid's a genius, your kid is special, your kid is wonderful and never messes up. But yeah, we're not going there. (laughs) As for those who seek God, for for the person who really wants to be real with the Almighty, like David says here, those who are actually willing and able to put themselves in second place, those are the people who are childlike and who seek to make themselves a non-issue with regards to what is in fact the kingdom's best interest. We are those sinners to be sure who are great in the kingdom Why? Because we've never told a lie. Why? Because we have perfectly clean hands and have never done anything wrong. Certainly not. Why? It's because we're willing to do whatever it takes to sit at the Lord's table. We are great not because of anything in myself or in yourself, but because we seek to be great in God's eyes, even if the world, in the eyes of the world, we end up small. So, reduce yourself to greatness. Childlikeness in adults, as opposed to childishness found in children of all ages, is a choice. You must put yourself and your desire to look out for number one to death. This is exactly what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8. If you, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you're constantly looking out for number one, if you're living to make that which is still sinful in you to be the biggest part of you, you will die. But, and here's where the gospel comes in, but if... By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, you've heard me say this before, but the flesh in the New Testament usually refers to that part of you that remains enslaved to sin. How many of us still have that alive and well in us? Wow, no hands. Okay, all right, all right, all right, okay, good. Sometimes this is called the sin nature. It's the fact that you and I still tend towards sin unless we are at that moment submitted to the Spirit. Unless we are looking to God the Spirit to do what we cannot do. Dallas Willard puts shoe leather on this reality when he comments, self-denial or being dead to self is the condition where the mere fact that I do not get what I want does not surprise me, 
It does not offend me. And it has no control over me. Let me read that again. Self-denial or childlikeness or being dead to self is the condition where the mere fact that I do not get what I want does not surprise me, it does not offend me, and it has no control over me. It, by the way, is on the backside of your notes, and I'm going to encourage you to refer to it often because there isn't a better definition as far as I know of this reality Jesus is talking about. Now, I want to make a point that I've made with you before, but it's a good to be reminded. This childlikeness, as opposed to childishness, this putting to death yourself, this self-denial, this humility, this reducing yourself to greatness, all of these are different images or they're different facets that we can see this jewel of Christ-likeness from. They're different ways of communicating the same reality. That is, first, a decisive, then a continually turning from self-centeredness towards God-centeredness. We need different ways of speaking because you and I all hear with different ears. You and I all see with different eyes. And we have different experiences and prejudices and quirks and flavors of sin that you and I need to have the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to shine on and illuminate so we can turn from that darkness and turn to the only glorious, precious, wonderful Savior who shows us amazing grace so that you and I can walk free of all this garbage and let it go. Get rid of it. And when this light, when the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus is shining on us, when our vision is good, we see, unlike the world, that true greatness, true stepping above and beyond what is ordinary is being just like Christ. Philippians 2, 5 and 6, and then verse 9, which we just sing in our hearts about. Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't look out for number one. He was willing to put Himself in second place. And because Jesus did this, therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed upon Him the name that is above every name. Like Jesus, you and I must reduce ourselves to greatness. Here's where the good news comes in. Were you listening this morning? Consider Jesus. Look to Jesus. Remember Jesus. See Jesus as your encouragement. See Jesus as your example, your energy, and your excellence. 
Just like you were exhorted this morning, preach the good news to yourself when you are discouraged and you find it difficult to reduce yourself to greatness. And that is precisely when you're considering Jesus and what He has already done for you that you will find grace and mercy to meet you in your time of need. And then Jesus continues. Now He answers His question, calling to Him a child. He put the child in the midst of them and He said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. You know, those of us who are theology geeks, we ask and answer all kinds of questions. You know what the most important question about heaven is? How do you get there? How do I get in? So how do you get in? Well, Jesus says you become like children. How, Jesus? You mean to become self-centered like childishness? What attitude do you want us to? To take What characteristic of children is it that you want us to emulate? Now, I'm using my sanctified imagination. Picturing this, people are sitting around Jesus and they're all kind of talking and Jesus takes this kid and he puts the kid on his lap. The kid knew his place. The child was not concerned about what other people thought. I'm sitting with Jesus. The child made himself number two to God the Son. And he trusted that God the Son would make everything right. This is humility. This is reducing yourself to greatness. And greatness in this case. Here, I, I want you to remember this. When you're reducing yourself to greatness, I want you to remember what greatness is measured by. How close you are to Jesus. How much closer can you be to Jesus than sitting on his lap? Feeling like you want to be small? I am. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humble yourself like this child sitting on my lap. The emphasis is on the child's tendency to be humble when they're looking to adults to do a great many things that they can't do themselves. Get that thing on the counter for me. Or pick up this heavy thing for me. Or help me go to sleep. For childlike Christians of all ages, the good news is that you and I can look to the Spirit to do for us all the things that we can't do. Just like my little girl looking to her Baba to help her with her owie on her big toe. Eliana knows that she can't take care of it. And she has a proper view of herself in this regard. And she asks, expecting a positive answer from the godlike character who is in her life. Me. That poor girl. Pray for her. 
And in case you miss it, Paul ties humility. He, Paul ties this idea of having a proper view of your, himself or yourself to faith. Listen, Romans 12. For by, grace, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. How you think of yourself is tied to the measure of faith that God has given you. Now, being children of the culture that we currently live in, unfortunately among a lot of Christians in this regard, we might imagine that the greater your faith, the greater your image of yourself will be. That's what they wanted you to know on TBN. Now, I doubly think that I'm right about this wrong view of the world because when you look up humility or humble in the dictionary, what you get is definitions or synonyms that all contain a negative connotation. It's scary how that's true. But don't let what they say bother you. Because listen, the number one thing we as Christians must do to become Christians is repent, to change our mind, to change the way we look at things around us, to change our values from the way that the world looks at it. Oh, you're small potatoes. You need better self-esteem. You need to think better of yourself. We repent. We turn from that. We turn away from what the world considers as valuable and we turn to that which is central and is truly valuable. And that is God's opinion of us. My friends, you don't need self-esteem. You and I need to reduce ourselves to greatness. And this repentance, this reducing yourself in spite of what we see in the world is the other side of the coin of faith. Faith is the positive trusting the promises of God for you in Christ. Repentance, or we're talking about specifically repentance in, the, in view of humility, is the negative doubting that I can save myself. For all you theology geeks, I'm not saying that this is all that repentance is, but hang with me. Trusting in the promises of God for you in Christ, doubting that my own ability or willingness to even reduce myself to greatness or a great many other things, if I have these two, trusting in God, trusting in myself, repentance is saying, I can't do it. Instead, I search the scripture for promises. Well, doggone it, praise Jesus, we got two such promises right here. This is one of those great passages. Matthew 18, 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. There's a promise. Two, Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Two promises. 
If you receive a child in my name, you receive me. Two, if you cause a child to sin, it would be better for you to die a scary death. Now, if Big Brother is listening, the two scariest forms of death in my mind is number one, burning, and number two, drowning. God save me. Let let me just fall off a cliff or something. As I have said before, the only way to understand a passage (laughs) is to understand what is going on in the context around it. So, what does it mean to receive such a child in Jesus' name? Well, the first thing we learn is that whatever it means, it must mean the exact opposite of causing such a child to sin. What such a child? Well, the such a child Jesus has to be referring to here is the one who has put their trust in Jesus. This is the person who has reduced themselves to greatness. They have died to the self. They have, they have denied themselves. They have humbled themselves before the Lord. Jesus is talking to those of us who have childlike faith no matter what our chronological age is. You are a child of Jesus. You are the one He is talking about. No matter how old you are, as long as you are humbling yourself and repenting of the pride of this world and you're trusting instead in the promises of God for you and Jesus. You, and therefore every single believer you know, is subject to this promise. Both the good aspects and, well, the other one. Therefore, don't be the cause of causing one of these children to stumble. Prefer, instead of causing someone to stumble, a horrifying, awful, terrible death. But, we get back to the reality. It is impossible at the moment of your trial to prefer a horrible death like drowning when you are face to face in a tempting situation where you just might cause someone else to sin. Unless, like my little girl, Baba hold you, pick me up, grab this thing for me, read my book to me, unless you are looking to God the Spirit to do in you what you can't yourself do, enabling you to do, to live what He is calling you to do, to reduce yourself to greatness. So then what does it mean to receive such a child, one who has already reduced themselves in Christ's name? Well, get back to our original question. What does it mean to be childlike? It means to be humble. It means not self-assuming. It means that you don't, like me, all too often, imagine that everything that is going on is all about me. Next time you're worried about something or someone, ask yourself, Am I thinking that they're talking about me? 
What I have found in life is no, usually they're not. Usually they're a whole lot more concerned about the zit on their nose than they are about the zit on your nose. (laughs) Do I act or think as if everybody on the road does their stupidity because they're out to get Greg Burtnett? Now, come on, guys. This is California. They got their driver's license from a Cracker Jack box, okay? They're not out to get you. What else does it mean? It means to be willing to be number two. Am I willing to take the back seat to someone who gets the credit? Am I willing to let my defense attorney, when someone's not hearing my side of the story, to be Jesus himself, the only counsel who has never lost a case? Do I have a proper view of myself? I honestly can't do better than Dallas Willard on this. This, Do I have a proper view of myself? A proper view of myself is the condition where the mere fact that I do not get what I want does not surprise or offend and has no control over me. That, my friends, is the only proper view of yourself that you can have. I dare repeat my Lord's words. Do this and you shall live. Now, for someone who's as grumpy as I am, the simple truth is that after 44 years of experience, I should know by now that the world does not revolve around me. I should not be at all surprised, and I am unwise to be offended, and I'm just plain schizophrenic to allow other people's opinions about me control me. Does anybody else struggle with this, or is it just me? Instead, when I am face to face with this temptation, when I am face to face to look at myself and to be surprised that someone didn't want to do it the way I do it, when I am offended because I am imagining that someone is talking about me or they're they're whispering and pointing at me, when I'm controlled because my stomach gets upset because I'm thinking that someone might not like me, I have not reduced myself to greatness. Instead, I have made it all about me instead of the one that we should be considering whenever and wherever we go. My friends, there is no sugarcoating this. You can take as large a spoonful of sugar as you want and the medicine will not go down. But you and I must make ourselves number two to God and we must allow Him to keep track of who owes what. And we understand that our job is faithfulness and let Him take care of the fruitfulness in the lives of those who are around us. Instead, trust the promises of God for us in Christ and then we will truly be great in God's kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Almighty, thank you for the privilege of going to your word and thank you that your Holy Spirit is powerful enough to work in us and through us so that we can, by God's grace, reduce ourselves in our own sight and be willing to reduce ourselves in the sight of the world so that the only judge who matters will deem us great in his kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.